0: Okay, Avatar. Not Avatar, we're off that. Legend of Korra. Okay. Welcome back, everybody, to Millwood and Micah Discovering Avatar Season 2. My name is Amanda Millwood, and I'm a screenwriter, actor, director, and a fan of Legend of Korra.
1: And my name's Todd Micah. I'm the author of the Grimguard book series, and I had never watched Legend of Korra until now. (laughs) Amanda, it feels so good to be back. I, I've missed this.
0: <laughs> Me too. It, it's only been, what, three, four months since we stopped recording for the first season? I,
1: I think about four months. Yeah. It, it feels like forever, but at the same time, it also feels like it was just yesterday. We were in here doing this, debating over scores of episodes, <laughs> weeping over the characters.
0: Right? And now so much has happened in that four months since we stopped recording the first season. Like, what, you got a new job and yep, you and are I've, writing your next books
1: <laughs> yeah 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 well i was already writing my my uh my newest book my upcoming book uh grim guard ears of destruction i was already writing it since last march but it's really kicked into high gear as i'm looking forward to hopefully releasing it uh by this summer so definitely looking forward to mm-hmm. that getting a few things in order um yeah and your 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 life has been uh pretty busy too
0: yeah, I had my twenty fifth birthday just last weekend and I'm also moving to Australia. It's casual, you know. It's yeah, like, you know,
1: typical winter, you know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this is another Tuesday for me. Uh, but yeah, no. I have been literally so excited about this because I, I mean, I've been hyping up Legend of Korra for you all throughout Avatar and while also warning you, like I, I love the show. Like anybody that has listened to the podcast knows I love Korra and the show, but I've also been warning you that this is a very divisive show amongst Avatar fans because pretty much everyone unanimous- unanimously agrees that Avatar is phenomenal. It's great. Um, but Legend of Korra is way more divisive. Some people love it, like me. Others really hate it, like vitriolicly <laughs> hate okay. it for some and, reason. And, and, <laughs> and, you
1: may re- and you may remember that I told you when we discussed Legend of Korra, <laughs> I specifically told you and asked you not to tell me anything about what makes it so divisive because i didn't want to come in Mm -hmm. slanted one way or another i didn't want any preconceived notions about it i didn't want to think and decide in advance which side i felt like i agreed with and come in biased i wanted just like with avatar to come in just dumb clueless me no idea i'm just because I, I think i told you when we were discussing it last season um you asked me what i knew about Korra, i'm like i know there's a girl named Korra, and that's it <laughs> right? that's literally i knew less about legend of Korra coming into it than i knew about avatar
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. yep and now look at you <laughs>
1: look at me now still dumb and clueless but (laughs) (laughs) uh well i i I told you after we'd we'd uh watched the episode if you haven't just speed run the entire series already um i told you that i could only hold back for so long i wanted to get right into the recording as fast as we could to start sharing thoughts about it so what do you say (laughs)
0: Absolutely. Let's do
1: it. <laughs> now, you said that the the stats on these episodes are pretty much the same. Uh, You'd mentioned right before the podcast, they were released together, weren't they?
0: Yes, this was kind of like a, a two-parter, even though the episodes are all serialized, uh, as opposed to Avatar, where they were episodic episodes. Um, the So these two, the first two episodes were put together and released on Nickelodeon and online, which Avatar, I don't believe, ever released online, at least not before mm-hmm. um, being debuted on Nickelodeon. But I'm pretty sure that they released at the same time. Um, online and on Nick where I of course watched it on Nick. Cause like <laughs> I want to see it on the big screen, but um, yes, yeah, so they, they were released together now, on it.
1: Now when you, now when you see it's serialized as opposed to avatar, what exactly do you mean?
0: I just mean that like each season is its own contained story and there's really no quote unquote filler episode. I mean, there weren't filler episodes in avatar, but it's different in that each episode is a piece of a story That is the whole story of the season. So you know, you
1: didn't you mention something that about uh, about that to me last season? We talked a bit about Legend of Korra. That weren't wasn't that something to the effect where they didn't know if it was going to get renewed to be on season one, so they had it just packaged.
0: Yes, yeah. So initially um when Nickelodeon and I mean this could I guess kind of be filed under the fun facts, but um initially when Nickelodeon these are
1: these are the serious facts,
0: <laughs> right? The production. Um because oh my god, Lord Legend of Cora has a very troubled production history. It's very fascinating, but um so yeah, Nickelodeon basically they were itching for some new Avatar content, as we all were at that point. Um, I think it was 2010, around that time that they um, they basically uh, you know they called up Brian and Mike, and they were like, "Hey, can you do another Avatar series? Like, we'll we'll pay for you to do an Avatar mini series um, on the based off the new Avatar." And they were like, yeah, sure. So they greenlit, Nickelodeon greenlit one mini series, basically. So one season of Legend of Korra that is its own story. Like, you know, and so that was basically what happened is that they got this one season. They did one full story within that one season. And then Nickelodeon was like, Oh, by the way, like midway through completing season one, they were like, You're getting three more seasons. <laughs> Which <laughs> so there's like what but we already wrote this season like as a as a one-off So <laughs> um, it, it's a very yeah nick basically screwed this show at any point <laughs> not any point but every point they possibly could mm-hmm. they were like yeah by the way and they're like no god damn it oh, um, yeah so <laughs> i'm glad that the show got made but man it was a rough road for nickelodeon and for the the production team getting there because we'll talk more about it later but
1: uh, i hope some of the production behind the scenes stuff will get kind of peppered into the uh, into the fun facts as we go along
2: oh uh, for sure
1: you know more about <laughs> oh okay good because i want i need the tea i may be, be <laughs> sipping coffee at the moment but you need to serve me the tea
0: Yes, if for anybody that has seen the Frozen Two making of documentary on Disney Plus, which if you haven't, I highly recommend it. It's a million times better than the movie. Um, (laughs) It reminds—I want to see that, but for Legend of Korra, where we see just how much trouble the production had and how much the studio kept interfering and like giving them these crazy deadlines and like and like firing people left and right, like it was so crazy that the show turned out as well as it did, despite how much trouble there was behind the scenes. Like I want a whole series about just that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Troubled productions. That could be a mini series. How, how the show's, and movies that we know and love almost didn't get made or at least didn't yes. get made the way that they were
0: yes
1: <laughs> rise of skywalker anyway um, <laughs> anyway
0: and,
1: and, <laughs> and now that the first bomb has been dropped let's get into the stats for the first two episodes of legend of cora um uh, episode one welcome to republic city Um, It's written by Michael Dante DiMartino and Brian Konietzko, and it's great to see them back. Just seeing their names on everything just makes my heart happy. (laughs) Yes you get that kind of official stamp of approval from the creators and we haven't seen them you know they get they get peppered throughout the series and i'm interested as always uh to see just how much involvement they have how hands are they are with the writing and how many as as we go along not just through season one but through the whole series how Mm -hmm. much of a direct hand they have in writing the content so
2: always excited
1: to see them i am really happy to see a familiar name in the next category as both these episodes are directed by two directors uh joaquin dos santos who we know very well from uh avatar season three Mm -hmm. and uh also directed by uh ki hyun ryu i'm assuming is how you pronounce it
0: I think, yeah, Key and Ryu.
1: Um, who is uh, a newcomer. I don't believe they were involved with the first Avatar series, or were they?
0: So they were, um, just not in a directing chair, not in the director's chair. Um, I believe, and I, I might need to look this up, but I'm pretty sure that Key was a uh, character designer and animator for Avatar. And so, you know, he was really good at blocking and action and all that. So I'm really glad that he got that giant promotion <laughs> from animator and character designer to being basically one of the main directors of the show.
1: Nice, yeah that's a that's a big step up. That's a good promotion there. So
0: mm-hmm.
1: awesome! Um, it is animated by, and I noticed both of these episodes are uh, animated by Studio Mir. Mir,
0: yeah, Mir. And there actually is a fun fact about this studio, because this is JM animation. This is still JM animation. They basically took um, the head of JM animation, broke off from JM animation and created his own studio. And he took basically all of the animators with him. So it is still basically <laughs> the same studio just under a different name. <laughs>
1: nice. Nice. I was about to, cause I was going to comment on it that the art, looks really similar to jam animation and uh mm-hmm. yeah that's that's pretty cool you can you can definitely see not only some familiar styles and the way that the characters faces are proportioned or the way that the actions and movements are keyed definitely big jet episode energy on some of those <laughs> um, right? Yeah, just very, very dynamic, the use of uh, dynamic camera angles in the action, a variety of low and high shots, far and near shots, and we actually discussed recently how much I hate mid-shots.
2: <laughs> yes.
1: You know, when action's taking place, when you need to create drama and tension, there needs to be that variety, extreme close-ups, long shots, to really orient Mm -hmm. us as to what's going on with the action, and then pushing in close on the next shot to throw us right back into it. And uh, Mm -hmm. that's something that JM Animation and now Studio Mir does extremely well.
0: Absolutely.
1: Now, this pair of episodes, uh, they aired together on April 14th, 2012. Um, which, wow, makes me realize how long it had been since the last Avatar series.
0: (laughs) Yeah, because Avatar ended, um, in, I believe it was June or July of 2008. So that's, yeah, that's... You guys really were waiting for a while. Yeah, a four-year gap. And, like, and for them, it was even longer, because obviously, when when the show airs it's been done for a while so they Mm -hmm. hadn't been actively working on a series for maybe six years maybe um i don't know exactly when they stopped production or when their part of production stopped but yeah so and at that point i was i was just leaving or i was just about to leave middle school because i was in eighth grade during april obviously of 2012 um Mm -hmm. and i was at that point where i'm like i want another avatar series but like for older kids you know mm-hmm. or teenagers because right. i was one um and then this came out i was like it's perfect it's what i wanted <laughs> and it's a girl <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's exactly and what as, i wanted
0: exactly and as a teenage girl i'm like yes i fucking love this so yeah it was a good time
1: relatable main character for sure <laughs> exactly uh, out of curiosity, how old is Cora supposed to be in the show? Because they have a little bit of a hard time placing her age, whereas they even like talk about it in the first series where they mention how old the characters are.
0: Yeah. um I can't remember if she's 18 or 19 in the first season because there's actually a lot of time jumps in this show. So I believe in the first season, really? she's either 18 or 19. Yeah. Because yeah, by she the end of the show, she's older.
1: Like because i actually could tell she's older i mean not just her voice but the fact that she's like the same height as the adult so i assume she was at least 16 or 17.
0: yeah yeah she's definitely an older teenager and by the end of the series i believe that she's like 24. like there's wow. quite a yeah there's quite a bit of like time jumping um especially in the wow. final season so i'm i'm very excited for that <laughs> I love which is
1: seasons. which is which is funny because you know when we were discussing the first series, we had talked about them being kids, and I had speculated, being like, "Oh, are we going to watch them grow up during the series? Is there a lot of time <laughs> passing between the seasons?" No, you're like, over no. one summer. <laughs> <laughs> the yeah, worst
0: the whole summer basically- of their lives. <laughs> Seriously, the whole the whole of the first that uh, the first Avatar series takes place over basically six months, like at the most a year but basically around six to eight months it's just like wow these poor kids the,
1: the next show should have just continued with with Ava, with uh, avatar ang and the gang over there and they should have been uh, i know what you did last summer <laughs> you saved oh, the God. world in parentheses <laughs> sorry that sounds like a that sounds like a fallout boy song i know what you did last summer parentheses <laughs> you saved the world
0: <laughs> yes or like a title of their album
1: <laughs> yes uh the and lastly of all the imdb rating for these episodes are respectively for welcome to republic city an 8.2 out of 10 and for episode 2 a leaf in the wind uh 8.1 out of 10 virtually the same thing it's an Mm -hmm. 8.15 so take us away with some fun facts
0: Alrighty, Um Tenzin is named after the 14th Dalai Lama, Tenzin Gyatso, and you might notice that he shares this name with Monkey Gyatso from Avatar The Last Airbender.
2: <laughs> yes, so that is very always, cool.
0: Yeah, they're always drawing inspiration from real world, you know, Asiatic culture, and I love that. Um, mm-hmm. And then our second fun fact is that Avatar Aang's animal guide was the sky bison Appa, but the show creators were originally going to give him a polar bear dog. This idea was scrapped and recycled for Korra's animal guide Naga. And if That's you really see. Interesting. Yeah, um, in the documentary, I've talked about this documentary before, Spirits, um, which just details the whole making of Avatar. It's fantastic. Um, But in the original concept art of Aang, like the first drawing they ever did for Avatar was Aang with this polar bear dog, but it's like standing up on its hind legs. And Mm -hmm. that was like basically the first concept art for Naga, which then translated to what she is now. But um yeah so it's i knew that before i even looked at the fun facts i was like i bet that's gonna be on there and i was right um (laughs) and then our third fun fact welcome to republic city and a leaf in the wind have the highest viewership of book one which makes sense because like i said they they aired together and Avatar fans were just like, so freaking hyped for this new series, like, because they right. showed, um, I remember seeing videos on YouTube from Comic-Con where they showed the trailer and they had like this whole panel discussing it and they had a lot of concept mm-hmm. art of the characters. Like, it they were really building this up. Like, this is the next big Avatar show. Um, right. And it's kind of like what they're doing now with you know the Netflix series and with Avatar Studios. We have so much Avatar stuff coming our way. I'm just like, I can't keep up with all of it. It's amazing. Um, <laughs> But uh, anyway, so yes, uh, highest viewership in book one. And then our fourth and final fun fact, Welcome to Republic City was originally supposed to feature a fight scene with Amon the villain in the initial part of the story. On the network's advice, the scene was later cut to slow the episode's pacing and provide the audience more time to be introduced to the new setting and characters. I I put this one last because this just, this kind of feeds into the episode itself. Um, right. I and kind of split on that. On the one hand, it makes sense because, you know, you've got two episodes to basically introduce the characters and the world and all that. And it's quite different from the world that we know in Avatar, you know, a lot has changed. So it makes sense to kind of have a slower pace and all that. But at the same time, I think back, and I'm so sorry for everybody that's like, you can't compare the two. I'm going to compare the two because they are going to sequel series. Of course. Yeah. It's a sequel series made by the same people. Like it's begging to be compared. So, um, (laughs) so to compare it to, you know, the first two episodes of Avatar, um, we meet our villain, obviously Zuko at that time. And he has multiple skirmishes and fights with Aang and the gang, or at least the gang at that point. So. I'm like, yeah, I kind of do wish that we had seen a bit more of, you know, our villain Amon because he's the best part of the first season, (laughs) but I get why. I get why they decided not to do that. Um, But I do kind of wish that we had seen him a little bit more. Um, in the first two episodes, but man, when we get to episode three and four, it is odd. I'm so excited. <laughs> oh, now,
1: now see, now see, you're saying that from the, from the, with the benefit of hindsight, you're saying <laughs> yes. it from, you know, having seen the entire, not just book one, but the entire series, looking back, being like, eh, well, getting him a little earlier, I kind of would have liked that. So for me as a first time viewer, mm-hmm. I actually dreaded the thought that (laughs) as soon as imam was introduced and we saw him physically i was like oh gosh somewhere inside of me i went Please don't have him in the next episode. Please don't have him in the next episode because it's going to seem (laughs) to me like they're trying to copy the success of Avatar by like Mm -hmm. introducing a villain and telling us a ton about his backstory and like is it going to be the Zuko and Aang duality all over again where we start learning about both their backstories and knowing them as characters right off the bat. So I'm glad just for the sake of the fact that and I'm sure that the Star Wars sequel trilogy is is what has... (laughs) In and the latest Marvel Phase Four, I'm sure it's those things that have me with a little bit of PTSD. As far as like <laughs> copying your own notes from five years ago, right. I'm just like, please do something different. Please do something original. Please don't just photocopy what you had the last time. <laughs> you know, don't just copy your own work. And so I'm glad right. to see a different formula for the introduction of the villain. I'm sure by the end, I might see. You know what you mean about like hey, they could have introduced him earlier. Um, mm-hmm. but I am glad to see us taking a different path and, uh, and putting us, um, in a different place with the character. Uh, instantly can I use that to segue then into talking about <laughs> our main character? Go for it. Because honestly... So Todd making a giant pile of his handwritten notes began anew. (laughs) Because here I am with more notes still there. Here they all are. I'm using the same notebook. Look, there's not much left in this thing. The whole thing is going to be gone by the time I'm done. You know this. Of
0: course.
1: So, you know that i as a writer and i as a critic place a massive emphasis in stories on characters Mm -hmm. characters drive the story forward um i actually am part of several writing groups online and we had a discussion recently multiple discussions that popped up online in my writers groups as it just kind of seemed to be a wave of discussion the trend recently um Well, people were talking about like, oh, you know, how, how much of my story do it needs to focus on the characters or how much world building should I put in here? And I made sure to make it very clear to everybody as I kind of leaned into the discussion and dropped my wall of text that I like to do Mm -hmm. and to be as pithy as possible. I simply said to them, your story needs to be universally applicable to any genre and any setting. If you can't take the core of your story, which should be about your characters, and put that story into a science fiction setting, a fantasy setting, a historical fiction setting, a zombie apocalypse setting, a dystopian setting, then if you can't tell the story that you mean to tell no matter what setting it's in, your story is relying too much on the setting it's relying too much on the world building your characters need to be the people and a human humanly relatable story that could be put into any setting and still be able to be told Mm -hmm. sure you want to fit into a genre that you enjoy where the visuals and the aspects of the story fit and enhance the story and make it fun but at the core of your story is the characters where avatar really focused on creating a duality a dyad right from the start <laughs> legend of korra actually grabbed my attention by focusing so laser focused on just the main character because not mm-hmm. only did they as i just said not only did they not create this mirror familiarity with our antagonist to attach us as an audience to the antagonist equally as the protagonist one thing it also didn't do is it did not immediately create this encapsulating circle of supporting characters mm-hmm. right from the get-go we had uh Sokka and katara packaged up before we even met our main character
0: <laughs> right
1: the titular character had not even been introduced and we already kn- knew who the supporting cast was we we had as it were we already met han solo and chewbacca before we ever met luke skywalker we met our timon and pumbaa before we ever met simba you know we, we right. had our supporting cast first for the main character to land in and we didn't have that this time it was Korra right from the start as our anchor character and i love love her character immediately i really <laughs> Really love her.
0: <laughs> me too.
1: And I want to jump in right away on what might be a hot button issue about the character. And you can tell me if it is or isn't, mm-hmm. which is possibly, tell me if I'm right or wrong, an accusation of her being a Mary Sue.
0: Oh, absolutely. Which, okay. I, I'm just going to say this real quick because I, I knew that this was going to come up and I, I was hoping it would because I'm curious what you think of that accusation knowing nothing about her beforehand and just watching these first two episodes because I can understand, I don't agree with, but I can understand where a character like Ray is is a, a, what am I trying to say? Accused of being a Mary Sue. I don't agree with that at all, as you know, but I get where people's minds are at when they're saying that about her. Cora, it makes no sense to me at all. Like in no way, shape, or form is she in any way a Mary Sue. And I just it drives me up the wall when people say that. Like even more than with Ray.
1: Well, right, because the entire concept, so to <clears throat> for any listeners who aren't familiar with the concept of a Mary Sue, it is in a story a character who is for all intents and purposes perfect. They are magically gifted with successes. They are, most of the time, one of the defining traits of them is that they don't need any sort of training or struggling or progression to get as good and talented at their skill set as they are.
2: Mm. You
1: have a character who is a prodigy who inexplicably knows how to do everything right, and usually better than everyone else around them. And the problem with Mary Sue's in a story is that if you're trying to make a character that comes from a humble or a disadvantaged beginning, it, it, it's, it's a pitfall potentially giving them a Mary Sue... Skill set because you have to explain how they are so incredibly good at everything when they've been so isolated, so ignored, and neglected, and disadvantaged. You have to come up with a kind of a chosen one story. You have to mm-hmm. explain either off the bat or in hindsight why it is that they're so incredibly good, naturally gifted, inexplicably skilled, why they don't struggle and fail. Now, to kind of take apart this a little bit and to kind of compare her to Rey, since that's a great example, and a lot of the people, as you've mentioned, a lot of people who are familiar with Avatar are also familiar with Star Wars. The the, the two of them kind of borrow off of each other, as we talked (laughs) a lot about in Season 1.
0: Yes.
1: (laughs) And the thing is that one of the reasons why Rey fits more into sort of the Mary Sue, while it's still debatable, is because... While she struggles and fails, most of her struggles and failures are not physical they're not tactile she doesn't physically lose fights she wins at the end of every battle pretty much a lot of her failures are internal struggles they are rejection a fear of abandonment there's an internal feeling of failure when she discovers her parentage there's a struggle against the pull of the dark side but none of those make her lose any fights she wins every single fight that she's in in every single story she's never she never physically gets her hand cut off sorry if you're To be a skywalker, you have to get your hand cut off. At least one hand. Maybe your legs too. I don't know. It's up for debate. But so it's debatable based on that level because Rey's failures and her struggles are mostly internal. Cora? We watch her struggle and physically screw up on a lot of levels. We watch her struggle (laughs) with her mentorship and her self-discipline. We watch her fail her tests over and over again. Does she eventually figure out and overcome? Yeah, but she does so with progression and with character growth. And we'll get deeper into mm-hmm. it when we talk about the events of every episode. But yeah, off the bat while it establishes Cora as being very gifted. Again, similar to what I said about the villains, my perspective is I'm glad that she's not following. I was relieved to see that we're not following the same oh it's the same thing as aang it's gotta be the story of her mastering every element chapter by chapter mm-hmm. oh my gosh i would the show would have immediately lost points with me if they had just copied and pasted aang's journey
0: exactly like and that's a big thing for me because i know that a lot of people surprisingly actually wanted that like they wanted to do just like with avatar a book by book you know uh element by element breakdown of her character and her learning all this stuff. And I'm like, I mean, I would have still watched it. I probably still would have enjoyed it, but it would have been too similar to Avatar. I'm so glad that they kind of just scrapped all that and was like, no, she is a basically fully fledged Avatar, air aside, um, you know, because the Avatar, they even say in the show Avatar that they come into their Avatar-ness usually at 16. Like that's when most Avatars are told that they are the Avatar and when they can go out and start training. Korra, on the other hand, has been training since she's four years old. That's what she was in the first opening scene. She was four years old. The White Lotus mm-hmm. find her and they take her to train her. So by the time she's 19 years old in the present day, like, yeah, of course, she would be really good at everything. because like she's she's been training practically her whole life for it. And she and she embraces her avatar role, whereas Aang ran from it at every opportunity. And that's, again, a great. Like, it's a great, not subversion, but um, what's the word I'm trying to think of? Like, it's a great mirror to Aang, I guess, in that, you know, yeah. they're so different in their approach to their avatar role and um and just in personality. I just love how, like, hot-headed and fiery and, like, you know, punch first, ask questions never Korra is, whereas Aang is the mm-hmm. exact opposite. I'm like, I... Oh, I just love it. I love that they didn't just copy and paste ang into a female character or you know, have similar they could not be more different. And that's what I love about it. Um right. but and, sorry, and I I just like is, gushing.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, no, no, no. I mean I have plenty to gush about the character, at least right off the bat in the first two episodes. One of the things I really enjoy about her as a character um is that contrast to Aang. Of course, because you know As exactly as you said, it would be boring if it was the exact same thing. Would it still be fun? Excuse me. Would it still be fun to watch? Yeah, absolutely. But we need something different. I mean, look at look at look at stories now. One of the one of the big criticisms that the Marvel cinematic universe has been struggling with and facing from their fans is the gender bending of their heroes. That the next generation that seems to be introduced through Phase Four they're just copy-paste female versions of the previous heroes all kinds of arguments can be made and i'm making a neutral stance it's just an observation because it's true that the fan base has a lot of pushback the the comics do they support you know that that there are female variations of the male heroes that come later in the comics yeah sure absolutely but are people saying it would be better if they were just their own heroes if they weren't constantly taking the mantle and and basically the same thing but the only thing changed about them is that their their gender is swapped Mm -hmm. if this was nothing more than a gender swapped ang it really would feel like just a rinse and repeat it's kind of that it's kind of like that damned if you do and damned if you don't situation that they faced with the star wars sequels on the one hand you had people saying oh you just pretty much copy pasted what you did with the original movies we didn't want this we wanted a different story make something Mm -hmm. original don't just do it over again And then when they came up with something original and did something totally different than they'd done before, people were like, this isn't the Star Wars that we know. Why did you do something totally different? We wanted the same thing. We want the nostalgia. It's like, well, what do you want?
0: What do you want? It's not that simple.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's, uh. And, but like I said, I'm, I'm glad for variation. I I don't like seeing things repeated. I'm very happy to see that Korra is a, is a very different personality than Aang with very built in, very apparent character flaws. That's the thing that I think really separate her out where I feel like a lot of writers now, 10 years later in writing, um, female characters. And I'm saying that for a very specific reason, not just characters, but female characters specifically is that. Her, her aggression and her assertion and her forwardness, while it has positive things, while it has pros to it, it's mostly it's mostly described and characterized as a huge negative, as a Mm -hmm. as a something she has to overcome. It's not so much that oh you have to stop being this way, but she is standing in her own way by not being more than those traits. You know, it's great for her to, it's great for her as a character that she is so confident, but she has to learn humility. It's great Mm. for her that she's so forward thinking and aggressive, but she has to learn patience. It's good for her that she's so self-sufficient and independent, but she has to learn trust
0: yeah and that's i mean literally pretty much everything you just described the things that she needs to learn she does by the end of the series <laughs> <And it's... laughs>
1: i assume i assumed so i assumed she didn't toss it through the entire series
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes no that, that i probably would not have liked her if that was the case because like you know i love her in this first season because she is so incredibly flawed but she is i, I mean she's young by the comparison to the end of the series you know she's fairly green she's come into this new world she's barely been a part of like you know it's it's so endearing to see that she is so brash but she also is so childlike because she doesn't understand the way that the world works like or like you know yeah just like basic things like yeah that food costs money because she was always taken care of like by the white lotus and by her family like you know it's it's such Again, it's endearing for me, at least, watching her try to navigate this world that she that she's never been a part of. And so, um, yeah, I love that they kind of counterbalance the negative character traits with more positive ones. Um, you know, her excitedness, her childlike wonder at the world, like you know, just these very these very charming things um, that make her this very complex and layered character, in my opinion. Um, but people just seem to focus on the bad. They're like, oh my God, she's such a bitch. She's so terrible. She like needs to rein in her temper. I'm like, yeah, that's kind of the point, guys. <laughs> if you actually well, watch the it, whole show, she does.
1: <laughs> you know what's a really interesting um, thing that I observed. Now, <clears throat> I don't know if anybody else feels this way, but I had a, a thought as I was uh, somewhere through the second episode of the two, I had a thought about her. You know, I mentioned mm-hmm. a few minutes ago how it's interesting that the show, unlike Avatar, didn't create this nest of, of secondary characters, the supporting characters in the form of Saka and Katara for her to land in when she was introduced. We didn't, we mm-hmm. didn't get introduced to her. like She was a foreign concept and the anchor characters were the water tribe. We were introduced to her as our anchor character. And right. And extremely well done, by the way, you know, your anchor character should be the character that you relate to as a person who, when they enter the larger world, you're like, wow, look at everything in this fantasy world. And, you know, they accomplished that not only through Saka and Katara, but through Aang, because Aang had been sealed in the ice for a hundred years. Mm-hmm. And so he was coming into a world that was foreign to him, as, and we as the audience got to get introduced to the world of Avatar through him. He was our anchor character. Mm-hmm. With you know, Korra, she is clustered away from, from everything. And in that regard, she is a bit like Toph. She isn't necessarily a spoiled rich girl, but she was born into advantage and she was sheltered in that way, mm-hmm. and so she has that that toffish pushback against being protected and 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 babyed, and she wants to get out there and get her hands dirty and see what the world has to offer, you know, just like Toff did. Also, the mm-hmm. whole sneaking sneaking away from home thing, mm, very toff, very <laughs> toff that way.
0: Well, not only that—it's fine you mentioned that actually, because not only is that very tough, but that's literally what Sokka and Katara did in the second episode, like, and with their grand grand's permission, like she told them, "Yeah, you go save the Avatar. He's he's got to be the one to bring balance to the world." Katara basically told that exact the same thing to Korra, like, "It's your turn." To bring mm-hmm. balance, like you and your generation. And I'm like, oh, the parallels.
1: I love it. But see, here's an observation <laughs> I don't know if anybody's made. What I saw mm-hmm. in that was we have the removal of ang and everything that his character is the peacemaker, the sage, the playful, you know. And what we wound up with was we took Sokka and we took Katara and we took Toph and we kind of mushed them all together <laughs> and made Korra. Right. Because she is really overconfident like Sokka. Mm -hmm. But she's also very, very compassionate like Katara and wants to help people. Just this constant Mm -hmm. looking at where how am I supposed to how am I supposed to look and overlook an opportunity to help people when they need help, like Katara. And she and it was very Katara like the way that she um sort of recklessly jumped into situations to help, because Katara's done that a bunch of times Mm -hmm. before. And we already yep. made the comparison to her independence against being sheltered like Toph. So, like she's kind of like if we took Aang, but we mushed together the rest of the the you know Team Avatar, we kind of get Korra.
0: Mm-hmm. And I love that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well see and the best part of it is it makes me wonder about the development of her supporting cast who are they going to be are they going to uh since we already kind of combined all the elements of what we had in the last series in my mind mm. it only leaves room for her supporting cast members whoever they may be to be brand again brand new fresh concepts and not just rehashes of what we had in avatar
0: yeah i would i mean obviously i'm not because surprisingly with Avatar, the the uh, the route that the characters take for their arcs is pretty clear. You know, like it's not really spoiling anything to say, oh well, you can kind of guess where this character is going to end up. Um, but with uh, Korra and her, I mean, Korra's is pretty obvious. We already said that basically everything you just said that she needs to, you know, work on about herself, she does. Um, right. But with with the side characters, you know, the the rest of the gang. It actually is very interesting because they all go on such different journeys, and they're not ones that you would expect coming from those specific characters. So I don't want to say too much or like give away too much, but um,
2: yeah, no where they are,
0: story. yeah, where they are now is definitely quite far from where they will end up. Let's just say that. <laughs> so that's so uh, it's
1: interesting. A,
0: yeah, <laughs> it's a very different kind of character like set, I guess, for the, for the, you know, secondary characters of the gang. Um, But on that, so I feel like we talked quite a bit about Korra. Do you want to, just keep talking about the rest of the characters or do you want to kind of like how do you want to go forward because i think that was one of the big points that we want to do is yeah talk about i mean that,
1: that was that was that was the elephant in the room we really want to make sure i addressed right away and you know not too differently than the way we started um the very very first episode of our of our podcast by just kind of doing character you know focuses on them but again there isn't a lot of other supporting characters to, that we are familiar with enough yet other than maybe tenzin
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, Tenzin. Tenzin's interesting <laughs> for a bunch of different reasons. But first of all, I didn't realize it was J.K. Simmons doing his voice for the first like five <laughs> yes. minutes, and then he said something, and I was like, "Wait, Eight I need minutes. pictures of Spider-Man!"
0: <laughs> <laughs> Literally. Oh my gosh, I love freaking J.K. Simmons. He is so great as Tenzin, and just great in everything he does. He's one of those actors oh, where he never gives a amazing. bad performance. Yeah. Yeah.
2: No. <laughs>
1: Yeah, there's there's no such thing as mediocre when you have him in the cast. It's it's fantastic. <laughs> right. Um, but as a really quick note, I also uh, noted that they listed off two other kids um, besides Tenzin. Um, I wrote it, and I don't remember how to pronounce it in the show. I don't know if it's Kaya, Bumi, and Tenzin.
0: Yes, Kaya, Bumi, and Tenzin. Those are Aang and Katara's kids.
1: Okay. I'm super intrigued by that, because... <laughs> It took me a second to be like, oh, 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 okay, that's the, you know, yeah. Aang, obviously it's Ang's son, but then I was like, oh, that's right. That makes Katara his mom. I was surprised to see Katara mm-hmm. uh, uh, <laughs> in the show. I knew the only thing I knew about the show is that Toph comes back later because I've seen pictures oh, of Toph with white know. hair. Oh no! <laughs> uh, so yeah, I do no. know that I do know that much. It's everywhere about Legend of Korra. So, but it's not
0: until much 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 later so we just have to wait but yes katara is still yes.
1: alive yeah so i and... was kind of surprised to see katara and it was great to see her give her blessing uh for her leaving um because mm-hmm. it mirrored as you said katara making the plea to grand grand that she needs to leave that she and Sokka need to go and help the avatar except now it's her going it's Korra going to katara and you know katara had to be like oh wow this is just like when i went to grand grand like deja ago. vu
0: Right? Yeah, no, I love it. And it, it still hurts me every time I hear the line. But Katara basically say, yeah, Sokka's dead. I'm just like, oh no. (laughs) Yeah, my brother and many of my friends are gone. I'm like, what? Sokka's dead? Are you kidding me? My second favorite character in the entire Avatar series. (laughs)
1: i know i know i i had a question though because this Mm -hmm. this sentence confused me so i wrote it down now i'm pretty sure i know what it meant but it really threw me for a loop because they said at one point avatar Aang tasked us to keep you safe and i'm like wait how (laughs) he would be dead already when she was born so how did he task them to keep her safe if he wasn't around
0: i think that like, this is just how I always interpreted it. I think that what it what they're saying is that maybe, you know, on his deathbed or as he was nearing the end of his life, he knew that the next Avatar would obviously be from the Water Tribe. So he would be like, you know, you guys need to train her. You need to protect whoever it is, him or her. Um, and just you know prepare them for their avatar duties because they're going to need a. Sus- right a so
1: he was system. he was speaking about her in theory not that her right. specifically because i was so right. thrown by the line and i was doing like a quick <laughs> consistency check i'm like wait a minute he can't say keep cora wait safe a minute. he who he, he just meant whoever the next the avatar is keep her safe right, okay yeah
0: exactly it, the con,
1: Force it, ghost. Con, it, it confused me so bad because i was like yeah or that yeah that's true I, well yeah i suppose you could speak to him in the spirit world because it just seems so personal and specific when there's like avatar aint tests us to keep you safe and i'm like he didn't even know who she was
2: she's not
0: even she born yet born. dude <laughs> <sighs> right yeah no i think they just meant in general whoever the next avatar was that the white lotus would be the protectors of the avatar
1: Right, right. So yeah, this, so that was a lingering question. So I'll check that. I'll check that off of my <laughs> okay. notes because that was something that I was so confused about. Um, I'm also really confused where Oogie came from because I thought Op <laughs> the last Sky Bison. What is he like? Created in a lab or something like? Wh-
0: that honestly probably would have been a better explanation. <laughs> oh. <laughs> So this is never addressed in the show itself. This was like one of those retroactive, like, oh, by the way, this is how this happened because people were confused by it. Um, And so I guess apparently Appa actually wasn't the last Sky Bison. (laughs) Um, And that there was a small herd of, they're like still Sky Bison. It's not the same breed because they look different from Appa, but there was a small herd of Sky Bison in the, or over by the fire nation that the fire sages like kept and they weren't wiped out because they were actually in the fire nation during the hundred year war um and so that's what oogie is he's like a different breed of sky bison basically um so i guess oppa's breed is the last he's the last of his breed but <laughs> i know it's it one of those
1: smells like a retcon. <laughs>
0: yeah It's like, I. That's one of those things I'm like, okay, that's a little far fetched, but you know what? It's such a a small thing. I'll allow it.
1: (laughs) Well, the best part of it is here I was all excited, like, oh, it's Appa, because maybe Sky Bison are like sea turtles. They live for like 600 (laughs) years. Okay, sure. We just have to make an original character. Alrighty. 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 So,
0: I honestly, I I don't even know why they didn't do that. That would have been. That would have been a much yeah. better option but like maybe Sky Bison just live really long and like since Appa was the last of his kind he could have lived past Aang's death like you know it's only right. a 60 it, a, about 60 years in between um uh was it Avatar and you know Legend of Korra 60 year time difference so that's not very long like
2: Yeah I mean, no, it's not enough it,
0: but <laughs>
1: it, it would have I don't know so that those were like little like head scratching things where I'm just like wait a minute
0: Wait a minute, <laughs> yeah, no.
1: Wait a and I'm not,
0: minute. I'm not gonna try to defend that because that's just kind of lazy. Well, that's just lazy, right? <laughs> uh, but, uh,
1: I understood that reference.
0: Yes, <laughs> but uh yeah, so it's not off, unfortunately. It should have been. That would have been yeah. cute if, like, Tenzin got to keep his dad sky bison. And it's like a family pet that just like, like Nana Chewbacca and Peter
1: Pan getting, keeping, oh, yeah, keeping Han Solo.
0: <laughs> right, exactly, because Chewbacca's a pet. <laughs>
1: No, Chewbacca got he got to have Han Solo and then after Han Solo, you know, then then he gets to just to have Ray and he he gets a whole litter. It's like having a dog, and then you get a bunch of cats with like Poe and Ray and and Fan, and you're like, I I it's not the same.
0: Right. Should have just got another dog. Right.
1: (laughs) But um the episode also does a great deal of uh world building because it really the episode is very aptly called Welcome to Republic City because it does I feel like the episode's in kind of two halves. It sort of acquaints us mm-hmm. with Cora, who she is as a person, but then it also brings her into Republic City and introduces her to the larger world that she lives mm-hmm.
0: in. Yeah, absolutely. And this is Again, this might be a hot take for some Avatar fans, but I personally, I'm not saying it's flawless because it's certainly not, but I love the world building in Legend of Korra. Um, I think that the ideas that they put forward and the technology that they bring, like, you know, people have, people are very split on the technology. I'm like, listen, they had giant war machines and, um, you know, the, the, where they called the balloons the war balloons or whatever um and we and had I'll a s-
1: giant drill
0: right exactly can't forget it was giant drill <laughs> um.
1: <laughs> the highlight <laughs> of the technological achievements the fire nation
0: hey uh, for that really <laughs> But uh, yeah, so like, and with Zuko being, you know, the Fire Lord by the end of the series, like I could see him pushing for a lot of this technology to be used for good and like to really advance, you know, around the world, not just in the Fire Nation. Um, So that's, I'm sure that's partially why he and Aang created the, you know, Republic City area um, so that they could bring together all peoples from all the nations and live in this you know technological
1: wonderland like um well it wasn't it wasn't that kind of who was it was it fire lord oh gosh who was it correct me on, on the name here was it fire sozin. lord what was it sozin Sozen. Yes. thank you i thought i had it um fire lord sozin it was the one who was like we need to share all of this with the whole mm. world through <laughs> imperialism and so right. like in so instead zuko going and doing and accomplishing basically through
0: capitalism
1: yes through (laughs) capitalism you know um (laughs) i feel like he is the way that he would have gone ahead and done it instead we're joking by the way um for all you anti-caps out there but so but but the whole point is that he did it through peace and through unity Mm. instead of conquering the other nations by force and just cramming everything good about the fire nation because it's really honest they're the best um you know cramming it down the throats of the other nations instead doing it the right way and still proving mm. that the fire nation's the best <clears throat> so but no but it does make wrong. sense that, yeah, change, <laughs> yes, my <mind. laughs> change my mind uh you can't oh uh, but so no i but i say all that to say that I, fully support what you're saying that it makes sense that there would be this huge leap in technology across the world because all of the technology and the metallurgy and all the industry that was just kept inside the fire nation alone and just hogged all for themselves flourished Mm -hmm. so much more with all the other nations input on it
0: right exactly like and again, I think that that's, you know, obviously, I don't know if it would have advanced as much as it did in those 60 years between uh, Avatar, Legend of Korra, but I could absolutely, some people say, this doesn't feel like Avatar, this doesn't feel like, you know, how the world would have progressed. And I'm like, I feel like it is, and it maybe not that fast, but I feel like this is where we would end up eventually, um, in terms of like the technology, the machinery, the, the landscape, the architecture, like, I, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but... Um, and I also love how you know certain things that were rarities um, in Avatar are expanded on and used to their fullest potential, like metal bending, one of my favorite forms mm-hmm. of bending. Oh, I,
1: you know, with- I loved seeing that with the police force. <laughs>
0: Yes. And I just, it's so brilliant to integrate the build or the bending into the world building, just like what they did with like Omashu, with, you know, using earth bending to send the mail or, you know, say using earth bending to, you know, push the the trains and all that. Like, I love that they're kind of bringing that back, but with the new types of bending, the sub bending, like, it's so right. cool to see. And I just, ugh, oh, I love it. We'll <laughs> Metal see, bending is so also- awesome. A-
1: and it, oh my gosh it's the coolest i loved the chase with the the police force after her i loved, mm. i love 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 the the metal benders i i honestly yes. thought and i don't remember her name the police chief lynn i love her <laughs> i <laughs> might just end up simping for her i'm sorry i just might she's <laughs> but she's just so cool you know what i loved i loved how this is such a tiny detail but i loved how when she was standing with her back to cora in the interrogation mm-hmm. room and she was talking to Tenzin, i love how you could see on her back the spools of mm-hmm. the metal wire all spooled up on her back feeding yep. behind her arms and her shoulders and into her armor so that it can connect to the gauntlets like i love Mm. that attention to detail where they don't just like spider-man's webs they just kind of come out of nowhere because they're like (laughs) the tiny web spinner like they have to justify where the metal is and they Mm. built that into the character design what their armor and their outfits look like it's so cool and the best part of it is you can just do that and for anybody who's not familiar with like the bending aspect of the avatar they'd be like well how in the world does that work magic and it's like well actually <laughs> yes Kind. <laughs> it's kind it's kind of brilliant to build something technologically into your world and have that little extra mental step to be able to be like but how does that work and to literally be able to be like bending and just have just answer the question <laughs> that's it it's a cure-all it. for how does this technology work <laughs> Magic. The key ingredient is bending. Magic.
2: <laughs>
0: yes.
1: Magic. <laughs> yeah. This podcast is 75% memes.
0: It's not what they come for, but they stay for the memes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh yeah, no, I love Lynn. And like she I would say that she's like up there with Tenzin as like one of the main secondary adult characters, because you've got your teenage characters, you know, your gang, but then you've got your adult characters and she's definitely one of the main adult characters um and i love that she's got that same kind of you know just hard edge attitude to her that toff did like she inherited Toff's attitude oh, I, I, I um, love it. yes it's <laughs> she's a very interesting character she gets a lot to do in this show surprisingly um but uh yeah oh, she's, she's really cool Oh good. (laughs) Get ready to get ready
1: to hear me simping for her for many many episodes to come. I can already hear myself, and I'm. I can tell you right now already. I feel no shame about anything that future me says.
0: (laughs) Yes. Um. But uh. Yeah. So, man. What? Oh, I and
1: I also got to see what I feel like is this show's equivalent of like the famous. You know. Water tribe exit from Sokka, which is the like yes. leaving the interrogation room and she does the like I'm watching you eyes thing. Yes. And Katara does it back and she's like, What, <laughs> what?
0: Yep <laughs> They're absolutely hearkening back to the Water Tribes. I love it.
1: I- uh that was so good there's an additional level level of satisfaction with the show when i see things in memed or in like super viral gifs that people use all the time and i'm like i have no idea that has no context i don't know what that's <laughs> right. about. and then i see the show and within a few episodes i'm just like oh, i know what that is now
2: <laughs> I'm in, the i've the been initiated
1: <laughs> yes yeah. i feel like i'm one of you
0: now <laughs> right Oh, join us, Todd. But, uh, yes. Um,
1: I do want to linger on one more thing, though, or rather two more things that are interesting. They're kind of intertwined, but I I like because it kind of nods to, and we have to kind of, um, you know, step back to the villain because he isn't really addressed much in the second episode. It's just the first episode, which is this kind of anti-bending yep uh don't really know what to call it sort of a social justice regime yeah
0: anti-bending regime
1: (laughs) yeah there's the sort of undercurrent of the benders are the one percent the benders are the oppressors the benders are the people who run society and now we are the people who are oppressed the us non-benders and and Mm. like that um i'm there's a lot of different vibes i get from it Mm -hmm. um i do in the most neutral sense like the way it sort of like challenges the entire concept of strife within society um of different social castes and subsets of people within society accusing each other of oppression i do like that mm. nod to cora being countering with the you're just oppressing yourself <laughs> that's then, one of like... my
0: favorite cora lines i'm oppressing <laughs> you, you're oppressing <laughs> yourself so stupid and i love it
1: and but i i kind of love the way i just kind of threw out there just the talking points as people talk about the issue of societal oppression and i like that that's something happening in the show um however much it's used as just sort of a vehicle for the villain's agenda or addressed as a serious topic yet to be seen but i do like mm-hmm. that and And Korra's entire run in with, you know, wanting to help people and the vigilante justice that she winds up getting accused of, and she isn't Mm -hmm. able to just superhero her way through the world like Aang did. What I find interesting about it, and this is something I really hope that the series will continue to, to portray for us, is that this isn't the kid show that avatar the last airbender was this isn't clear-cut good evil black white and Mm -hmm. Korra, in the sense that she is a very sheltered individual hyped up her entire life that she is the savior of the world is dropped into a world that is more sophisticated as it were the makers of the show created a much more morally and culturally complex society Mm. and world that cora is the vehicle that the viewers who are used to this very clear-cut good evil kids who just want to save the world mentality and that's what she's born with representing Mm. the viewer Coming into a much more morally gray setting where you can't just jump out and save people because there's red tape and there's hierarchy and there's collateral damage. There's all these. Do you have a permit for that? (laughs) Unfortunately, (laughs) Avatar fans, you're adults now, and life isn't free, and you can't just play Mm. until the streetlights go on. It's a very different world. And I really like that.
0: Well, let me just say that this is another great mirror to Avatar um, in that in Avatar, the world needed Aang and he wasn't there. Like, that's the whole thing is that he was not there for the world when they needed him most, he vanished. For Korra, she wants nothing more in the world than to be the Avatar to help people, but she's come into a world that doesn't need her anymore. Because society and technology has advanced so much, the world doesn't really need the avatar at this point. And she has to grapple with that for these next four seasons. Like who am I, if I'm not the avatar, like she, that's one of the big, you know, self-reflective things that she goes through, especially in this season. Um, And I love that because that is something that, you know, would happen eventually. Like maybe, you know, I, again, I think that it's really smart to bring in this kind of real world conflict of like, do we need, this or is this just something that's here like you know i i think it's very very fascinating how different it is from uh ang and all that so um yeah i i don't want to say anymore but yes <laughs> no yeah no no no
1: spoilers But as i really think what's fun about it and what's what's so incredibly intriguing is it puts forth a very interesting moral dilemma to us which is do black and white morals those heroic values that ang had and that core exhibit do they have a place in the modern world is the modern world in need of that is it an antiquated idea a concept of absolute right and wrong of absolute good and evil of seeing somebody in need and doing it because you have those values is it a bad thing is it a good thing is Mm -hmm. is there value does the world still need that or has the world grown beyond it and a need for that absolutism or has the world just become so jaded and so overly complicated that it's something that they've abandoned wrongly and i'm Mm -hmm. interested to see because that is a concept that's just out there in many places has been for a very long time and i'm interested to see what message the show takes as far as addressing that as a global sort of truth and how it relates to you know core as an individual as you said it's something that she grapples with so i'm interested to see mm-hmm. what lessons she takes away from it and what lessons the show conveys that's very very interesting to me
0: yes it is <laughs>
1: <laughs> that pretty much sums up my notes on on the first episode i told you i have a <laughs> lot of stuff very dense i practically had to write yes. sideways on my paper <laughs> One thing I thought was very interesting as she's being tested, as far as starting to learn her her airbending, is her statement about herself: "I'm as opposite an airbender as you can get."
0: Mm-hmm. Totally true. <laughs> I think
1: I, I, it is very true. It's an interesting bit of introspection. And it introduces something we already knew that she was a very stubborn person, a very, you know, mm-hmm. like you said, punch first and don't ask questions, ask questions, never, um, right. sort of character. But I think one thing that makes her redeeming is that she isn't blind to her character flaws. The frustration mm-hmm. that she exhibits throughout the episode often is not, I don't need this because it's stupid. It's a frustration with herself and a sort of inner pride that makes her say, well, Maybe you're just a terrible teacher. Maybe this test is dumb. It's somebody unwilling to accept what they do see and they do know about themselves, which is, I'm failing at this. But then, as she says, in our grand tradition of jumping to the end of the episode, she tells <laughs> Tenzin later, I was just venting it on you. I was just projecting it on you.
0: hmm Yeah. And again, that's this is a... Perfect example of like people taking her actions and her dialogue out of context to shit on her. Um, <laughs> because I've seen many a video video essay on why she's a terrible character. I'm like, you guys are really missing the point. Um, but they'll take all those lines, like where she tells Tenzin, you're a terrible teacher, and like, you know, just disobeying him at every turn. Like they'll take that, but they won't include her genuine apology at the end, where she explains why she was acting that way, that she wasn't mm. mad at him. She was mad at herself because she wasn't getting it. She wasn't understanding, you know, why she needed airbending or how, or why she couldn't do it when she could do all the other elements easily. You know, it's it's taking out, it's like you said, projecting. Um, so and i think that again because she does understand that that that's why she was acting that way and that she genuinely apologizes and they move past it is what makes her redeemable like if she didn't do that i'd be like cora what the hell is your problem like right um, right
1: because but, because if the message of every episode was that cora was right to act the way she did i'd be like well that's horrible
0: <laughs> don't yeah, do no, that she's not and she knows it and that's why she apologizes um And I really like that, you know, this isn't really a spoiler, but going forward, we don't see her struggling like she still does struggle. She can't airbend throughout most of the season, but um, she doesn't struggle or fight with Tenzin about it anymore. Like they move past it, which they should, Mm -hmm. because it would be so annoying and repetitive to just keep have them butting heads over this. Um, But I think that we needed this episode to show her learn some humility and to, you know, show that she does have genuine weakness, not just, you know, not just internal, but like external, she can't airbend, which is something that the avatar needs to know how to do, Um, especially to continue the air, uh, you know, the air nomad traditions and all that, since Tenzin and his family are the last airbenders. Um, So yeah, it's it's really important that we got that apology and, you know, the ending of the episode and yeah.
1: Yeah, the thing with, with the, you take a chance, you, you really take a chance with characters when right off the bat you display their character flaws. Because, mm-hmm. you know, when you introduce a lot of characters, it's it's difficult putting their flaws first because you do risk, and this is to acknowledge critics, um, I can see and I agree that it is risky putting putting that there and potentially making your character unlikable. Because if, you're, if you immediately put out that the character has these flaws, you do run the risk of unfortunately winding up in a situation which I feel like the fact that you use the word redeemable... you have to admit it is kind of a you dig a pit for the character that you have to be sure you quickly dig the character out of you if you if you have to worry is this character redeemable then you realize you've presented some flaws that are going to compromise is the audience going to be on board with them are they just going to find them really annoying um right and i and I, i feel like it's different I mentioned earlier that I was drawing a really hard line between portrayals of a male protagonist and a female protagonist. And while the egalitarian out there and the egalitarian in me wants to say, oh, there's no difference. It's just universal. You can present universal struggles. Well, you can, mm-hmm. but you can also present gendered struggles. You mm-hmm. know, Aang had struggles that we talked about were very much stereotypically male issues they were issues about internalizing your anger or your frustration they were issues about well, what do i do do i explode out with my emotions or do i ball them up inside and pretend they don't exist a very common male struggle because for the boy young boys watching it we need to address this issue we need to address the issue of how are they handling their emotions and the show did a spectacular job with that as i said last season but with Cora, it's a different set it's a different set of problems. It's a, it's an issue of, well, when you feel morally very, very, um, you know, very strongly on a certain issue and you feel the need to speak out, are you going to be silenced by the establishment? Are you going to feel put down by male figures who are teachers as the case with Tenzin? Are you going to look upon it as unfair criticism are you going to feel additional antagonism from them because they're not of the same gender as you? It just it puts forth a lot of challenges, and I think the show does a good job on them. I mean, you're obviously the target audience. How do you feel that the show addressed those for you?
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, I think they did an amazing job, personally. Like, you know, I love that Cora is such an emotional character while still being incredibly strong at the same time like i don't mean i mean she is physically strong obviously she throws a guy through a window but (laughs) um i just mean like yeah i just mean like she has stretched like she she reminds me of myself in a lot of ways you know i'm not a fight first ask questions never kind of person but i do have very strong beliefs and convictions as we have talked about you know um i have very strong opinions and i can get very emotional when it comes to that stuff and like I feel like I see that in Korra as well. You know, she believes what she believes and she's very, you know, true and steadfast in those beliefs and her opinions and all that. And, um, you know, can be a little arrogant and, and hot-headed, obviously, because she has this title of the avatar. Um, but, uh, Yeah, I think, you know, it's interesting talking about her gender because I I should have put this in the fun facts, but um, (laughs) she actually was going to be a boy. Um, Nickelodeon asked for it to be a boy and Mike and Brian were like, no, she's going to be a girl like that is like they they fought to keep her a female character instead of you know doing another male character because that That's would awesome. have been three male avatars in a row roku a- or ang and then whoever korok or whatever is they would have been <laughs> um, <laughs> korok korok <laughs> um <rock>. but, uh, <laughs> right um but i'm so glad that they won that fight because you know it would have been really easy to have given her traits to a male character and I feel like they wouldn't have gotten nearly as much flack as she does because solely because she is a female um and I'm not trying to get all like soapboxy or anything but I think that I'm glad that they stuck to their guns that they kept her a girl and I think that in the long run that was the right decision and I fully support it so yes they did a great job (laughs) with writing the female um I don't want to say gays because it's it's not like that but just just the it's female a, perspective
1: a, it's a, <laughs> it, exactly it's the female perspective and that's something that's again so valuable and so needed and i think we're a lot of and i i i agree as we've talked about i agree with a lot of criticism of a lot of modern shows because i mean and i want to make sure i'm not including core really in this um mm-hmm. <clears throat> because core was the this show was released what 12 years ago so so 11 years ago
2: Mm -hmm. and i
1: mean in the last maybe debatably seven eight years is where i see a lot of the characterization of female leads in a lot of shows and a lot of movies going wrong because they're really really stripping down the female perspective into something that is very superficial for the sake of the movie which is why a lot of them a lot of those seem like they're pandering because quite frankly they are they're Mm -hmm. missing a huge opportunity to explore the nuances of the female perspective and put important messages in there both addressed to the female viewers and also to you know provide education and awareness and perspective that can be shared instead of coming up with this really defensive or or really i mean it really is the best word instead of a defensive sort of you know here's the female perspective and it's hostily aimed like a weapon to alienate other viewers i mean look at look at the responses that there are to things like she hulk where they just mm-hmm. literally straight out go and insult the people who are naysaying about it, who are critics, and just writing them off. I mean, imagine writing off an entire gender as as being unnecessary or, or having a worthless opinion because you're that defensive over your show. Sure, people are going to argue about She-Hulk and be like, oh, it's intended to be that way, that was the intention
2: uh okay
1: mm-hmm. how's that working for you in the long run i'm sure that's really helped you but a show like this i feel like invites in by creating you know the sort of story it does i feel like it invites people in you're not pushing people out you're inviting people in to connect with a character yes a flawed character but a character whose perspective on the world and her experiences are so important and i'm Mm -hmm. really looking forward to seeing what they do with that moving forward because we are only two episodes deep
0: yeah yeah we barely scratched the surface
1: (laughs) you know but you know i i obviously being a male you know want to make sure that i express how much i appreciate that and i'm really looking forward i'm already liking the stage setting for cora so i'm just very very interested to see where they go forward with it i think it's good so far
0: yeah totally um so now can we talk about probending
1: <laughs> i was waiting real? for you to are like holding <laughs> your breath on it and i'm just like if she wants to talk about it she wants to talk about it yes we yeah. can talk about it
0: okay because i think that comparing probending to quidditch that's totally apt like that it is but yeah. i would argue that whereas quidditch was really just there to be there like there was no reason for it was just more world building really yeah. um I feel like, and I wouldn't even really qualify as world building. It's just a sport. They play, there's no stakes. There's no nothing to Mm -hmm. add to the story. It's just kind of filler. Whereas with here, with pro bending, um, while I think that it not only is it good for world building because, you know, we can see that using the bending types and like how bending has changed. It's not so much martial arts anymore, but more mixed martial arts, like MMA, like, you know, boxing, kick, you know, kickboxing. I was going to say beatboxing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I want to see beatboxing used as the model. God.
0: Um, But uh, yes, you see how bending has transformed. You also see that people of all nations enjoy this sport. It's not just for one specific, you know, nation or people, Um, but also... I think that the way that they use it within the story of this episode "A leaf in the wind, the second episode is really clever and that it helps Cora to learn how to do the proper air bending footwork. And like, I just, I love that moment at, you know, towards the end of the episode when she's really struggling. She's the only one left on the board. Like everyone else has been knocked Mm -hmm. out and you've got the other team just like pounding her. And now suddenly she, it starts to sink in just like Tenzin said it would these lessons that she's been doing for the past, whoever knows how long, couple of weeks, probably um, these airbending lessons that she thought were pointless, but now she's using them to actually get the upper hand and the advantage in, in the game. And I'm just like, I love that. And I love that. It's as someone that, you know, in school did terrible in certain classes and great in others like, mm-hmm. I felt that moment. That's like the moment when I was given an alternative or a alternative way of learning. And I'm like, wait, I'm starting to understand this thing that I never understood before. Like, how is that possible? Because I, it's a different technique, a different learning style, you know? And I just love that moment so much. Um, and <laughs> it, was, it was so good. Um, I, I will say though, I have no idea what the rules of pro bending are. I have watched this show like a billion times. And I, st- <laughs> I still, I'm like, I don't get-
2: I just the, spent my you, water.
0: <laughs> I don't get how points work in this game or how you win in this game. Like on the surface, it seems pretty easy. Like, you know, you've got certain rings that you have to stay within, mm. like on your side of the, I keep wanting to say board, but whatever it is, the ring. And the court. so, and you use- only your bending, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the court, whatever. Um, and you use whatever bending you're assigned to, whether it's earth, water, or fire. But like and you can't knock anyone over the side of the ring. They have to go off the back. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. But then everything else, I'm like, wait a minute, what?
1: <laughs> so so it's a it's a little like tennis to me. Like it kind of makes sense. Oh, really? i i it's a, it's actually a lot like tennis in its own way it's kind of like a cross between tennis and dodgeball where those like parts mm-hmm. of the court where you where you uh, uh stay in now granted in tennis you're not like penalized for stepping over them but the court is right. segmented into different areas if you hit the ball in some areas on your serve it's technically out of bounds you hit it in other areas it's inbounds and it's okay you do it twice you right. can get penalized you got it wrong there's faults like that so it's kind of kind of makes a little bit more sense to me i was trying to follow it i'm sure if i looked at it a second time and really dove into it i could probably dig out the rules yeah. uh but it made a little bit more sense to me only because i'm familiar with those kinds of games so yeah
0: yeah and I am but it is very
1: all. it is very scattered i i couldn't figure out the scoring system of at the end when they allotted the points I know. Out. that's the i could figure out how they were winning or losing but i couldn't figure out how they were tallying at the end i'm like I don't understand. Is it how many people you wind up knocking out at different points? That I didn't understand.
0: Right. Yeah, I'm like, wait, this we only had one point and now suddenly we've got three? Like what?
1: Yeah, on my I brain swear. couldn't figure out if that was like football where like a field goal is worth three but a touchdown's worth seven, like or six <laughs> or whatever. I could not figure that part out either. So that that I didn't get. Looks cool though.
0: Yeah, no, it's Look, it is looks great. Cool. Makes love, no I makes love...
1: no sense. Compels me though.
0: <laughs> Literally makes no damn sense. Uh, but yeah, no, it's I I enjoy it. Like I I think it's fun. It's more fun than Quidditch at least. Like Quidditch is fine, but I'm just like eh. <laughs> at least this it, like builds it, out the world.
1: And it is and it is absolutely nail biting too because it's so it's so physical because again it is like dodgeball it's not like a ball that's put into play where it's like oh no the ball landed two inches on this line or it passed <laughs> right. the foul post or did they cross the line let's look it over on the replay like the court has built into it like the they step out of it and it senses where they are so there's like pressure you know pressure plates or sensors or whatever you want to call it um and then of course you get physically knocked out of it which is also very dramatic because at that point you're just you're just out entirely like you're just you're going right. it's humiliating
0: <laughs> and you fall like four stories into a giant pool like damn
1: yeah there's a little american gladiator there too you know
0: <laughs> it really is um but uh yeah i'm trying to think is there anything i mean we haven't even really talked (laughs) i love that we haven't talked about mako or (laughs) bullet
1: well Um, okay so uh, so so maybe this is like a negative on the episode but also a positive number one i love them but number two i had absolutely no idea whether they whether the story was trying to establish that these were ongoing characters that she was going to know that were like her secondary team members here or mm -hmm. whether these were like characters that fly one-off. in and then are gone yeah one-off characters i had no idea what they were going to be and in my mind i kept hearing you from season one being like everything comes back in the show todd nothing's throw away i'm like great we'll probably see them in season two and then we finally see uh mako at the end mako right Okay, we finally see him at the end, like, gazing out at her, at the the island, and her looking back at him at the stadium, and in my mind, I was just thinking of Anakin (laughs) in the Jedi Council chambers, looking at Padme off in the (laughs) apartment, and her looking back at him... And then, so I'm assuming Mako went off to go to Order 66 after that, because that's what I'm trying to draw parallels. So, <laughs> Absolutely. Here, <so. laughs>
0: um, yeah. No. They they are definitely they are members of the new team Avatar. Um, so you okay. got you know obviously Korra's the <laughs> Avatar. You got your Firebender. You got your Earthbender. Um, but uh, yeah. So you know they. It's interesting because like I know where they'll end up. Obviously, so I think that they are characters that. They don't make too much of an impression at the beginning, but by the end of the show, I think that they really come into their own as characters. um, And I really love Mm -hmm. them by the end. But Mako's hot. Yeah.
1: (laughs) I don't just mean because he's Firebender, I mean, he's hot.
0: (laughs) Well, see, here's the thing. They were trying to do another Zuko with him, and it's pretty obvious. Like Bolin's clearly trying to be the next Sokka and Mako's trying to be the next Zuko. And I'm like, I'm sorry, honeys, but no. <laughs> like, and it's so like you got this brooding, you know, I was gonna say dark siders, not the force. <laughs> <laughs> you got this brooding firebender <laughs> and it's like very standoffish and you got this you know joyful little comedic relief sidekick with Bolin um and yeah it's just not the same it's not the same but I still like them <laughs>
1: it's funny that you picked up on it because I didn't I actually oh, really? didn't I when they came on the scene I actually did not liken them in any way shape or form to old team avatar and maybe it's because for me, I didn't, uh, process again, as I said, whether mm-hmm. they were introducing them as like new team avatar or whether these were just one-off characters. So I actually right. didn't make any association with it. I actually like them a lot. I like, uh, Bolin is, is that mm-hmm. uh, I like Bolin. I like him as sort of the suave, like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna charm her I'm the, i the, the ladies man, but he wasn't gross or off putting about it. He was just nice now he did right. it in a flirty sort of like let me impress you sort of way but he was more like he's a celebrity he assumes she's a fangirl sort of he was just being right. nice to her um he certainly had uh he had better game than either Sokka or Aang did so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah I don't know I mean Sokka Sokka had game like let's be honest <laughs>
1: it's like had a game but not in the traditional sense he pulled like
0: all the bad bitches in avatar let's be honest you like, <laughs> didn't even have to try pulled,
1: well that's the point when he was trying he was bad at it he pulled them all <laughs> by when he wasn't trying to um,
0: that's fair that's fair <laughs>
1: but but mako i didn't even take him as being like a, a a proto zuko or anything like that i actually was just like oh that's cool we got a firebender maybe you know what it is it's like the, <laughs> i i just i just knew and at first i actually was wondering he kind of kept me guessing because i actually took him as being like an antagonist i was like oh is he going to be a foil for her is he going to be like mean to her and he's is he going to be mm-hmm. that person she has to win over who's like really critical is he going to be more like tough if there was any character i was actually thinking that he might develop into it'd be sort of a tough character a sort of like Mm -hmm. you know keep the keep her humble keep people keep her in her place why was that so hard to say i don't know (laughs) i wasn't sure what he was going to evolve into and then at the end he's just like yeah she's (laughs) she's the one
0: yeah um I'm curious to see how your... Because, I mean, obviously you said that you liked them starting out. I'm curious to see how your opinion, especially on Mako, will change by the end of the season. Because um, he, he's, like, one of the most hated characters in Leshno Korra. Um, really? Yeah, one of. Not... Well, is,
1: is there I, anybody in this show that the fans like? <laughs> Do they just hate that's everybody? That's
0: a good question. <laughs> There actually is a character in season two. I won't tell you who it is or what they are. But, like, they are the best character in, like, basically all of Avatar. Like, not just Legend of Korra, but, like... really. Like he wow. is up there with Zuko and Sokka as being one of my favorite characters in all of Avatar. <laughs> and really? he's the one character I think everyone agrees is phenomenal. But everybody else is like, no, I don't like these characters. <laughs>
2: like, okay, Man.
0: whatever.
1: No, I, honestly, I I love, I love the world building so far. I like, as I'd said, um, the ins and outs, the outer conflicts, uh, moral dilemmas that the characters are facing. I like the character growth moments. Uh, I do, I like horror herself. I like the built-in character flaws, but the fact that she's introspective, I think her struggles are very realistic for somebody in her position, very relatable. Um, and again, I think that she already, um, at least on the onset, he uh, has a lot of valuable things built into her character as a female protagonist, um, both ap- appealing to a general audience and a targeted you know want to appeal to female viewers um i think on the onset that she's set up really well and i'm I'm really interested to see what they do as far as the writing goes um shall we move on to ratings then for, for these yes.
0: episodes yeah I, did you want to go I, first
1: <laughs> yeah yeah I, I i gotta say i feel like i i got a kind of set A general bar for myself so i'm going to kind of lean on the imdb ratings just a little bit um Mm -hmm. but in general in general here's how i'm going to go with it i am going to rate these two episodes together as a 7.5 because i'm also leaning back on if these were episodes of avatar among the avatar episodes where would i rank them Mm
2: 7.5
1: i don't know how much higher or lower how much better or not as good the other episodes of the series are by comparison i feel like it's solid character building i didn't think there were any superb action sequences knock my socks off stuff i didn't think there were too many jaw-dropping moments there weren't any big emotional moments it wasn't particularly hilariously funny with, with comedy but everything it did it did extremely well i think it it's mm. on that note 7.5 isn't bad it's a very solid 7.5 satisfactory and some things i really really loved which is where my point five comes in it doesn't get a point off for having no zuko like
2: always but
0: <laughs> right um <laughs> i i think i would give it just slightly higher um if we're doing them both together um i think i would give it like a 7.8 like higher 7 point whatever because I don't think it's, I don't think it's quite at an eight yet, but I also think that 7.5 is just, to me, that's like mid, like it's good, it's good, but it's not great and it's not bad. It's just kind of like that midpoint. Um, I'm, I'm
1: waiting for the show to really grab me with something oh yeah. big, but it's not going to do it in the first two episodes. So.
0: Well, let me just tell you, um, episode four is one of my favorite episodes of Legend of Korra period. So.
2: Wow. <laughs> okay. i
0: so hyped for our next episode like our next podcast recording because episodes three and four (laughs) together are gonna blow your fucking mind they're so good
1: nice oh i can't wait i can't wait so yeah no the series is off to a running start this is it legend of Korra, and uh i really really cannot wait to see what comes next
0: That's all for today. To all of our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode, so feel free to leave a review or comment, follow the podcast, give us a good rating, and all that good stuff.
1: You can find us on Twitter at Millwood and Micah, and please follow our Instagram at Millwood and Micah Podcast. Thanks again, and we'll be back in the next episode.